Well, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. And uh, of course, I'm saddened as you are about the circumstance that's happened to Pastor Greg. And yet, isn't it amazing how God does do all things together for good? So watch out for his mansion that he's going to have when this is all said and done, right? <laughs> we'll all pray for, for caved-in trusses. <laughs> um, well, thank you, uh, Dylan, for helping me with this. And uh, I know that with this in the background, and what I have up here, I, I, I believe they should all match. Um, but uh, if not, just you know, kind of do this, and I'll know that I've, I've done something wrong. I'd like to introduce uh, us just a little bit first. Is that, does that move forward? What do I need to do? You can just tell me when it's going. So, uh, oh, there we go. Okay, so John and Susie Lehman. Uh, we've been married, we'll be married 42 years this coming June, and it's been a pleasure to have known her. We both graduated from high school in 1977, and six months later, uh, the Lord allowed us to meet, and uh, as a result of that meeting, uh, we have added a few hobbies in our life. We like to ride a motorcycle together, uh, like to go on mission trips, and you'll hear a little bit more about that even uh, at, during the worship service. And then uh, we enjoy skiing, and it just so happened that the mountains out here uh, are very proper to that. Susie's been a ski instructor now for 22 years, and I say, I'm the athletic skier, she's the artistic skier. And so we did enjoy your snow basin the other day. We were hoping to be able to go with Pastor Greg, and of course, he had other things on his mind during that time. And then, as a, of course, as a result of us being married, we had four children, and uh, Candace, Cassie, Cody, and Caitlin. And then uh, they are all grown and married, and we now have uh, 12 grandchildren, 10 in the picture, and two have just recently arrived. So I just thought I'd share a little bit about our family so you have uh, opportunity to see that. All right, I think now I'll quit turning around. It's all, it's all matching. What is something that we all do a lot of? What, what was that? Complain. Talk. There you go. All right, thank you. Well, and how else do you complain without talking, right? So we, so we do. We do talk a lot. Some may talk more than others, but we still all talk a lot. And words do mean something. Complaining words, encouraging words, correcting words, counseling words. It's amazing. Out of your mouth does proceed at times blessing and at times discouragement. When we do, we can leave hurts and wounds like we never meant to. If we're careful, we can leave encouragement and empowering words that will linger with who heard our conversation that will literally lift their spirits and not just that moment. I'm sure if you go back in your mind, back in your history, and some of our histories are a lot longer than others, but you can remember some conversations you've had with people that have lingered, and you may not even know where they are today, but they have encouraged you or there have been some that you recall, it's like, I don't ever want that person to talk to me like that again. And you avoid people. So Proverbs 25, 11, a word that is fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver or settings of silver or in a display of silver. So God's word really does have a lot to say about our talking. First Kings 4, 32, Solomon 
spoke 3,000 proverbs. We only have 31 chapters, but he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and he wrote 1,005 songs. Solomon uh, wrote specifically to his son, or then ultimately his sons, or then ultimately his children. And of course, what did he do as a, as a young man? Uh, God gave him the option to, to make a choice. You can have anything you want, Solomon. I mean, that's almost like you know, Christmas is coming. You can have whatever you want. Your birthday's coming. You have whatever you want. And as a young man, Solomon, of course, had David, King David, as his dad. And he knew what leadership in a nation would be like. He knew, some, undoubtedly, some of the wrongs that his dad had done, some of the rights that his dad had done, some of the antagonism that undoubtedly was there from those people his dad was leading and some of the accolades that undoubtedly the people gave his dad. So Solomon, in his own mind, chose wisdom. And God said, you chose well. And as a result, I'm going to grant you fame and fortune, you could say. And so he had it all. Anyone that has it all, anyone that is very well acclaimed, people will want to come and visit them. And what do you do typically when you go and visit someone? A gift, yes. You bring something to share your delight in being with them. And often, at least uh, it's kind of a neat statement, when you think of buy, about buying somebody a gift, give them something that you would really like. Typically, they will like it too. I know in our family, there's some fun because sometimes people will uh, play on things with each other. You know how siblings can be. And my son received a gift of a shirt that says a re-gift. And a re-gift is you get it, and then you just give it to somebody else. I think I've heard that they say there's only one fruitcake in the world. It just keeps getting re-gifted to somebody else. So words, in this case, Solomon received this gift. And it says a word that's fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver, pictures of silver. Evidently, it was so pronounced, so exquisite, that he, in his own wisdom, said, a word that's fitly spoken is just like this special gift I just received. It's something that he really appreciated. And more than likely, it was a dignitary that came from another nation, came and gave him this gift, a silver sculpture with golden apples. He makes this statement, and this, I can't guarantee exactly what it looked like, but this is just a little bit of a 21st century rendition. We all have fruit baskets of some sort in our house. It might be plastic, it might be a woven basket, it might be a metal a platter of some sort. But you think about the stark contrast and the beautiful contrast between a gold outlay and then the silver inside. And so this was an exquisite gift. So I'd like to just think about, as we're talking, about what does the actual word, word, mean? Well, a word is a single, distinct, meaningful element of speech or writing that's used with others, or sometimes just alone, to form a sentence for communication of thoughts, intents, or meaning. A word is a sound or combination of sounds that has meaning. Of course, it's spoken by a human being. Words can be used to give a command or a signal of something to begin or end. You talked about a race. Ready, set, go. And everyone heard the command, one little statement, and the runners proceeded. Words can be crafted so they are convincing. 
you've done that before too. Whether you as a child trying to convince your parents of something, you as a spouse trying to convince your spouse of something, but they express agreement or disagreement. The meanings of words crystallizes perceptions that shape our beliefs. When you share with someone a intense internal conviction, typically you really convey that well. And usually you have people want to follow you or assent with you. A word, of course, interestingly enough, can be used for counsel, instruction, encouragement, reproof, can be a comment, could be disapproval, could be disagreement. Just a lot of things that words are used for. And then you hear the statement fitly. Well, I was going to use this illustration because I had to borrow this shirt from someone. I told you I was going to bring a sweater and a shirt, and somehow I changed my wardrobe and brought the wrong shirt and had to borrow the shirt. Well, it fits him okay because he's a size 16 neck. I'm a 15 and a half. But I'm a 35-inch sleeve, and he's a 34 sleeve. So this isn't quite fitly fitting me. Well, fitly, words have to be fitly spoken. They need to be well-suited to the occasion, well-suited to one's character, well-timed in a proper manner, in a proper place, and at a proper time. Boy, it takes a lot to talk, doesn't it? And you notice why words can be a gift or they can be a detriment. The word fitly was actually first used in the 1500s. On a graph that I was looking at, I saw that it was used a lot in the mid-1800s. And now it's used very seldom. I saw that it was used in comparing how clothes fit. Uh, you like them just right, don't you? You typically try to buy your size. You typically try to buy your color. You typically try to buy your, buy your name brand. In the shoulders, in the arms, around the waist. There's a lot that goes into buying a garment. In a sense, there should be a lot that goes into how we speak. So fitly, and then the word spoken, a word fitly spoken, needs to be well-timed, well-spirited, and well-expressed. What makes a word effective is it being used. If you just think a word and you don't express it, whether spoken or written, then it isn't used effective or ineffective. Uh, Danielle could have been curling or drying her hair and looked up and saw that trusses, the, the, the dilemma that was taking place, and I'll just think that. I hope Greg figures it out. That would have done you no good until Greg started to dry his hair and he saw that happen. <laughs> so effective versus ineffective. And sometimes, <laughs> it's best not to speak the words that we think. But to speak a word, a spoken word, means that it will be uttered for others to hear, which in turn communicates something to them. Uh, typically, a spoken word is either face-to-face, -face, or it could be remote, like a phone call, or, of course, in our day today, you have WhatsApp and Marco Polo, and those old, old voice machines, you know, the voice messages, you can leave a voice message for somebody. But still, it's the speaking. You don't, uh, I know we've called before a grandchild and you're talking to them and you say um, something like, did you have a good birthday? And all of a sudden you hear the parent in the background say something. They're nodding their head, but that's not getting any communication. So it has to be spoken. And then he says, is like. You know, we use comparisons, don't we? Now he compares it to this apples of gold. 
Well, when we've been on mission trips or with folks whom we are teaching English to, words are often used as a comparison. You know, it's like, and then you share something that compares itself. Um, when we talk about something, we want words to explain what words mean. So Solomon is saying, okay, a word that's fitly spoken is like this exquisite gift. This was something special. It made him bring out a proverb. Now, of course, that's not inscripturated in Proverbs 25. It's not even in the prologue. There are folks that, um, Flavius Josephus would be one, people who've been historians and have shared similar situations. So we're using this as an example that it could have been. So I'm not going to guarantee which queen that came to see him and which country she came from. But I do know this. Whatever he received, it made him, caused him to respond that this word was really, uh, that a word can be similar to a gift. This gift was very valuable. And the value often, you know, if you're coming to see someone, often depending on who you're visiting, the size or the price or the value of the gift is often more when it's someone that's a lot closer to you than someone whom you may not really have known very long. You spend time making sure that just the right gift shows how valuable they are to you. You spend time with that. That's one reason why, as parents or as uh, husbands, uh, spouses, uh, you'll ask, what would you like for Christmas? What would you like for your birthday? But you notice it's really important that that person clarifies exactly what they're wanting. And I'll share something about that in a little bit. But the gift, it shows the value. And then finally, he says, in pictures of silver or settings of silver. He sets the, the apples of gold in this special setting. Just like when you, as a young man, uh, bought your wife's diamond. Or just like you're buying a certain item, and the person who sets it frames it in such a way that it looks really nice. If you would have taken a diamond and put it on top of a glass counter, well, the diamond's still beautiful, but the contrast is not very much. You put that diamond on a black velvet, a clean, lint-free black velvet, and it shines really beautifully. And so it sets it off. And that's, in a sense, what the ideas of our words can set off how our responses are. Gold, on, gold looks expensive, but maybe gaudy. But gold on silver looks even more precious. Interesting. Two of the most precious metals combined for this specific purpose. So now that we think about a word that's fitly spoken as like apples of gold in settings of silver, well now what does that mean for me today? How can I apply that today? Well, specifically is to think about a gift. Thinking about our words as gifts can do a lot for the recipient. So I said that about a gift. Think about this. Uh, if you just stated to someone, and I'm just picking out this random idea, you wanted a green sweater or a cardigan. So all you said was, I want a green sweater. So this person gives it to you, but it's lime green, and you wanted hunter green. It's an XL, but you need a medium. It's a V-neck, and you wanted buttons. That's the kind of gift, like I was saying earlier, you re-gift. Oh, this would look really good on you, Joe. <laughs> this would really look good on you. But if it was your color green, it was hunter green, it was medium, it was an Izod, or a Ralph Lauren, or Polo, or whatever, you'd wear it till the elbows wore out. And then you'd put a patch on it, because that looks cool again. 
So for us to have our words to be fitly spoken, let's think about these five specific things that go into speaking. <laughs> and hopefully the next time you have a five-minute break, you're not going, okay, is this going to be well-timed? Is this going to be well-spoken? Is this going to fit? You know, just get in the habit of being a person who speaks, giving gifts. So well-timed, timing is critical when we speak. You think about that. We need to take into consideration, first, whom we are speaking to. Our spouse, our child, our boss, our friends. Then we need to determine their frame of, their frame of mind when we're speaking. Are they already doing something? Is their attention not focused on you? Is this a good time of day or night for them? Are you in the right frame of mind to share this so they hear and understand what you're saying? You're not rushed, you're not hungry, you're not sleepy, you're not tired, you're not frustrated, but I need to get this off my chest. That's the time that your word just don't speak it until you're ready to be in the right timing. Taking that person into consideration, there's a lot that goes in to timing. And then, well-suited to the occasion. Uh, what occasion are you speaking to them? In the morning, late at night, when they're hungry, when they're running late, when they're consumed with another project? It's like, wow, there's a lot of things that go into a word that is fitly spoken. And then, well-expressed. Expression is something that we all have. Think of how others perceive what you're saying. I've read this before. It says, the most important thing you wear is your expression. A scowl or a frown or pleasant or smiling. I've also read that it takes a lot more muscles to frown than it does to smile. So since we're all relatively lazy, let's just smile. It's so much easier. Or you can say, that was fine, or that was fine. I communicated two totally different responses to the individual who just finished his piano recital. Ask someone how something is, and they say, not bad. Well, which part of that scale of not bad are we at? Are we at like almost negative, but it's not terrible? Or not bad is not, not a 10, but maybe nine and a half? Or that was great. Didn't take much difference in how many words we used, but it conveys such a different or what makes you feel the best. God tells us that we are to treat others like we'd like to be treated. So let your, in this case, your expression of what you say be received in a positive way. And then it needs to be well-spirited. You know, the attitude during the statement makes a huge difference. Think about this as when you go to work. I have to go to work. I work my 40 hours, I come home. Or I get to go to work, and I get to bring home this salary so that I get to minister in certain, two totally different ways to, to think about that. Disciplining children, this is so difficult. I am discipling the next Christ follower. Two totally different ways to perceive what you're doing. Speaking to someone with energy and enthusiasm goes a long way in helping them to feel respected, loved, appreciated, and well answered or it can make them feel slighted or ignored, just in one response. And then, of course, it's well-suited to the character. The temperament of a person 
to whom the statement is being made, we need to think about how they're going to react and respond, and then be prepared for that. Maybe it does come across in a difficult moment. They're going to be hurt or harmed or discouraged. By knowing in advance that that might happen, because we're supposed to speak the truth in love, do you like my apple pie? Whoops, now what am I going to say? Well, I like your cherry one better. It's a lot different than this is terrible. And when we say their, when we consider their response, it does a lot in how we want to communicate. Will they be encouraged or discouraged? By asking that question, it might keep us from saying something or saying it a certain way. Will they be motivated or harmed? It makes a difference. Will they be calm or agitated? So it's not just the word that we're thinking, it's now all these different factors that go into, into their speaking. So I'd like to go through this in Matthew 22. Good. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, where God's word, Matthew pens, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your might. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I think that's got to be one of the most interesting verses because he doesn't say love yourself less. Although there's another passage that talks about esteem others better than yourself. But he says, love your neighbor like you love you. I hate to admit it, but the guy on this side of the podium, I love me. And if I can just get used to loving others as much as I love me, I'll love them a lot. I'll look out for me. I need to look out for others. So then he goes on in Ephesians 4, and he says, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. We impact each other. He goes into be angry and sin not. And then almost like, but in case you get angry and sin, just don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. So take care of it before you go to sleep. Don't give place to the devil. And then verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Just even that verse alone. And then, of course, don't grieve the Holy Spirit because it says, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. You, as a believer, as a Christ follower, he wants you to be living a life that shows others that you're a Christ follower. And then he finishes out the chapter with these next two verses. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger and evil speaking be put away from you. So, if you didn't get it the first time about let no corrupt communication, now it says don't be bitter, don't be wrathful, don't be angry, don't be clamorous like trying to get your own way. And then finally he says, okay, now, be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, and then the last part, and forgive each other like Christ forgave you. It says forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So I'd like to give a few um, statements. I'd like to put a few apples of gold on the setting of silver, so to speak. The first one is love God. Now I'm going to stand here just because I don't know how they'll come up there. Then we're to love others. Okay, love God, love others. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. And every one of these, the thought is, and I think of Colossians 3 often, where it says you put off the old man and you put on the new. And you know, the old man 
almost like after a race, you take off the old clothes, clean up, and then you put on new ones. So if there's certain ones of these that are, oh, I haven't put these off, well, then put them off. If there's certain ones of these that you haven't put on, well, then put them on. Because a, a platter's pretty big. And in LVs, there might be a few that we're having a difficult time with. Forgiving and giving uplifting words. Giving thankful words. Loving words. Having insignificant deeds. Little things. Not, you know, it's, it's easy to go, well, when I become, or when I preach, I'm going to share all this. Well, what do you do the other 167 hours of the week? That's really what preaches. Blanket of kindness, loving words. Be focused on that person you're talking to. Be affirmative, like complimentary, empowering. Be appreciative. Be affectionate. Love like Christ loved. Be genuine. Be diligent. Be assertive. Be selfless. Love your neighbor like you love you. So now we get to, this looks like the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> well, we're gonna, you can imagine we're going to do a few words, uh, commandments. First of all, for you to have words fairly spoken, you have to speak to people. Smile at people. Part of the process that makes words come across so much easier. Call people by name. And if you, you know, it, it is nice that in our day and age we often use, hey brother, hey sister. But finding out their name does a whole lot more because there's 24 brothers in here and 24 sisters, but only one Joe or Josephine or whomever. Be friendly and helpful. Be cordial. Even in your own home. I want the salt. Would you please pass the salt? Be genuinely interested in others. Be generous with praise. One of the cheapest gifts you can ever give. It takes a lot of work, though. Be considerate of their feelings. Be thoughtful of their opinions. It is their opinion. And it's wonderful. And it's great. Doesn't mean they're wrong and you're right. It means there is a right way. And we work together. And then be alert to giving helpful service. What kind of gifts are you giving with your words? Gifts can be expensive. You have to spend time looking up what kind of gifts that person wants. You have to spend time to purchase and acquire them. Even though you have online purchasing, there's still time and effort that goes in. You have to make sure they don't already have that gift. I know in this day and age, I know we, when we got married, we got three popcorn poppers. Well, in this day and age, when you go on the you know, gift exchange, you, you know, they check them off when someone buys it. That's really nice. But you want to make sure they don't already have that. And then you and I should get so excited about giving our gifts. We should love to give more than we love to receive. And we love to receive. <laughs> so love giving. The Bible shares that in Acts 20, 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we all know how we'd like to be spoken to. God says in Matthew 7, 12, Therefore all things, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do even so to them. So, let me encourage you to consider your words as gifts. Spend time choosing the right ones, like you do when you purchase gifts. 
Spend time considering how the other person responds to words and what their personality is like. And then proceed with your spoken words to them in the same way, making sure they would really like to receive your words. Just as a little to-do, little homework, think of two or three ways in which you can use your words to show kindness to people you know. Walk, think about that. Ephesians 4.29. Is this all up there? Ephesians 4.29. Think of ways you can give grace to those you come in contact with. And then Psalm 19.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If we're not careful, we want to make sure we get along with each other, but I really want to make sure we're thinking of our relationship with the Lord. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the means and ways you give us your word to in turn correct, challenge, encourage us to live so that you receive honor and glory. And what do you do for us? You, in turn, design our lives to be blessed by you. So please help us, if we love you, to keep your commandments. And may this just be another reminder, a refreshment, to speak words that would bring glory to you and good to those recipients. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.